0: So week number three of our study in um, the Gospel of John, and we're still in John chapter 1, and we'll um, take verses 35 to 50. And our study is given the title, Beginning to Follow Jesus. I don't know how the rest of us feel, but I've really valued the extra little bit of theatre that has come to this study by the context that David Woods gave to the opening talk, in saying it's it's quite distinctive, Gospel uh, John's Gospel account is quite distinctive from the other Synoptic Gospels um, because it's not a a kind of systematic chronological uh, time-based description of what went on. It's John in his um, older years actually writing a memoir and his audience is probably second and third generation disciples of the Lord. So these are the children, the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren of the people who were um, contemporaries of the Lord Jesus. And John in his old age is reflecting back and the theatre of the situation is he's, he's not trying to remember systematically everything that happened in the order. He's just calling to, me- to memory um, key events and illustrating it by, as it were, calling witnesses from his own experience um, as to the events that happened. And um, this is all in support of... John's declaration that he makes in chapter 20 which is really the purpose of the of the writing so it's all in support of his declared ambition that you that's those reading it may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in him so it brings a very special context to it this is John as a a contemporary of the lord jesus as a human being when he lived on earth um, delivering his testimony to us who were not around when jesus was on earth and it's all in support of his conviction and his ambition that we would have the same kind of convicting faith that john had and with that kind of um, perspective on the writings um, John launches into the unquestionable credentials of the Lord Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, the creator of all that exists, God the Word, the eternal creator of all things, the source of light and life, God taking on human flesh and in so doing enabling communication with mankind on mankind's level, the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's the um, the launch that John gives to his gospel. And then he strengthens his case by um, speaking in detail about the testimony of John the Baptist, who was a very respected prophet, recognised for his uh, spiritual integrity and um, his commitment to his mission in life, which is to prepare... The, announce the arrival of the Messiah and to prepare those who were looking out for him. And now in our reading today we get to an introduction to the core group that would be the Apostle John and his peers who were to become the Apostles and how they were first introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he was the long-awaited Messiah. We'll read the passage but I'd like to think of Um, Add a bit of structure to the talk, and there's four things to think about. Um, Number one is behold, and it's about being captivated with the person of Jesus Christ. The second is spiritual integrity, so drawn after God and what is important to God, rather than drawn after man and what men might think is important to God, or what men might think is important to men. So that's, that's our spiritual integrity. The third is the Christian call, an amazing truth. It's our call to faith and discipleship. And then number four is the promise of going deeper with God to all who would be disciples of his. Now remember the context uh, at this point. The, the people will read about in the narrative. The disciples of John the Baptist, they're convinced about the spiritual integrity of John's message. And John's saying, I'm here to prepare you for the arrival of the Messiah, this um, amazing person who's been promised. And actually, he's, he's here and he's in our, in our time and circumstance. So it's almost like John's convinced his disciples, we're in the right place at the right time and um, we have the opportunity to um, meet with this person. That is the Messiah. So there's a huge appetite amongst his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and they're waiting with great expectation. So, with that kind of introduction, let's go to chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So we have our four kind of sequential steps to be thinking about one is behold number two is spiritual integrity number three the Christian call and number four the promise of going deeper with God behold is a an old uh, English word and not one that we use I think outside of scripture at least I don't Um, and actually it also doesn't feature in modern translations which is a little bit disappointing Um, But you do get in the punctuation in modern translations a little bit of an insight as to what behold means. So John says, look, exclamation mark, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you have the impression that this has got an element of surprise to it. So um, you see something unexpected and your attention is arrested by it. In my introduction, I was saying how that John's disciples had a real expectation that the Messiah would show up because that had been John's message and he was convincing in his message. And actually, where we break in in verse 35 of chapter 1, it's the second time John has spotted the Lord Jesus and declared, behold, look at this man who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um in my meditations around my talk today which evolved into um a thanksgiving this morning i was taken to those other two occasions where the same expression is used about the lord jesus john the baptist says behold the lamb of god and Pilate, in contrast to john the baptist someone who um, was ignorant pretty much when it comes to understanding um the god of heaven and the promised messiah but in his ignorance he makes a declaration first um behold the man and this was to the crowds who were pleading for uh, jesus to uh, be crucified and then he declares him behold your king and i would just encourage us we're in the business of thinking about what it takes to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And we have some criteria laid down here by uh, John's uh, witnesses who he's bringing into his uh, memoir. And he's saying the the first thing as I reflect back on what it was that um, drew our attention to this was we were captivated by this person, Jesus Christ. And I would just appeal to us and say, that's got to be the starting point for any would-be disciple of the Lord. We need to behold the Lamb of God. We need to behold the man. We need to behold the King. Uh, We need to behold the Son of God. We need to behold our Redeemer. We need to behold our Saviour. We need to behold our Lord. It goes on and on. And it's about being captivated with him. It's about having our attention arrested in a surprising way by this wonderful person to which there is no end to the depths of knowing him. So the first challenge is to what extent is my testimony about being captivated or arrested, having my, my heart or my attention arrested by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an essential prerequisite for true discipleship. Let's move on to number two, which is spiritual integrity. And this comes from, the, in my mind at least, the account that John is sharing with us from the witnesses that he's called to mind. Um, uh, and it's about the impact that... Um, John the Baptist's message had had on his disciples. And there's a, a wonderful, unexpected orientation to it. You know, um, we've kind of explored how John the Baptist was a bit of an oddity, living in the desert, strange clothes, um, strange food, and actually quite a strange message to many people. But he'd drawn to himself by the integrity of his message, disciples. And uh, it strikes me as being uh, the behavior of John the Baptist's disciples as being a real credit to John the Baptist's spiritual integrity. Because his mission is to prepare his own disciples for the coming Messiah, and then to announce the arrival of the Messiah. And then it's almost like John the Baptist melts into the background So imagine how we would feel if we had these loyal followers and we point out, um, behold the Lamb of God, and they disappear and they never come back. (laughs) And it's, um, I think that's just a wonderful statement as to the conviction that John the Baptist has about the truth of his message, that this absolutely was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah um, that they were waiting for. And actually he'd done his bit, (laughs) And now he was stepping back and allowing um, the fulfilment of his, his work. A wonderful man. Um, a little bit of an aside here. I had a, a distressing text this morning from Kuboy in, um, in Burma to say that um, a little boy who I don't know, but his parents and his grandparents were in the church in Peter had passed away, 10-year-old and um, seemingly he had some health issues and things, but not a person I was aware of. I can't picture him. And Kuboy's message was, pray for me. He died yesterday and he'll be buried tomorrow and I have the job of conducting the funeral for a 10-year-old. And, um, you know, we, we think um, of the parents and the, the tragedy of this little life being snatched away. And the only consolation that I can think of is his life wasn't snatched away. God is in control of everything that goes on. Psalm 31 and 15 says, his, our times are in his hands. And I kind of relate that for prayer. I don't know the little um, chaps what his name was, but his uh, family is a key part of the Peter Tarr Assembly in Myanmar. Um, and they need to... Uh, somehow appreciate that their little boy was not snatched away, but in God's big plan, his life was complete. And we see that in, uh, in John the Baptist. He comes to uh, what is pretty much the end of his mission, <laughs> because the Lord Jesus arrives and takes over, and he's snatched away in a pretty dreadful way. But actually, you know, in God's bigger plan, that's, that's not what was going on. John had done his role. He'd fulfilled his purposes in, uh, in his ministry and now it was for the Lord Jesus to take over. And so he goes on to say that he must increase and I must decrease. It's a wonderful lesson about spiritual integrity and attitude as we are God's instrument in his uh, bigger plan. And it's never about us. It's always about him makes me... Um, I was going to sort of refer us to another verse. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 11, and it's the Lord Jesus' own testimony about John the Baptist. In Matthew 11 and 10 it says, This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Uh, um, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there, was not, um, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. So one like Elijah was predicted and the Lord Jesus just speaks so highly of this man, John the Baptist, whose mission was now over. Um, not snatched away, but his, his service was complete. Think about the two disciples. We know one of them was Andrew. This is two of John the Baptist's disciples who follow the Lord straight away. Um, so they must be pretty much the first the first two of the 12 who became uh, disciples of the lord and think about it from their perspective they'd been loyal to john the baptist john points them to the messiah and they have no hesitation to leave the one who had taught them what they'd learned and the they now have a new allegiance it does make me ask the question who whose disciple am i <laughs> Um, who is it that I'm following? Um, uh, the message here is someone with spiritual integrity. Um, is not about human relationships. It's about our uh, appreciation of who Jesus is and our opportunity to follow him. Let's move on to number three, which is the Christian call to faith and discipleship. And we have this... Um, illustrated in in two sets of circumstances. The first set of circumstances is is Andrew and this other person who's unnamed, who are formerly John the Baptist's disciples. They follow Jesus and become Jesus' disciples. We can speculate on who the second person is. Most people default to John because John um, the Apostle um, kind of takes a... Uh, a third-person role in his narrative. So he never really refers to himself directly. Um, So the general view might be that um, the two are Andrew and John, the Apostle John. Another suggestion from me is maybe the other person was Philip. Because the next day it says the Lord um, finds Philip. Philip. And we'll come to that in a second because that's the next part of our point here on the Christian call. Um, But whoever it is, it's obviously not important that we know it. Um, But the the important thing that we can discover is from Andrew's own testimony. And I, I see almost like a progressive thing going on here. There's curiosity, and the curiosity was raised by... John the Baptist's um, testimony. So it's a curiosity from a third person's testimony and it developed into something that was convincing and compelling on the basis of a, an encounter. So what was someone else's, in te- someone else's testimony became Andrew's personal encounter and his curiosity turned to conviction and then Um, his conviction turned him into a champion. So having spent the day with the Lord, so Andrew and his companion, it says they spent the day with him and that was sufficient. (laughs) Imagine the privilege of spending a day on your own or a couple of you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm assuming they were on their own. Maybe there were others, so I don't know. But they curiously followed him to where he was staying and it says they spent the day there And then there's this curious expression and it was the 10th hour. Um, Hard to work out whether the 10th hour was the start of the encounter with the Lord or whether the 10th hour was the end of it, but it was four o'clock in the afternoon. So give me some license and I'm gonna say the 10th hour was when they had finished their time with the Lord and that's when Andrew comes and finds his, his brother Simon. What's the significance of the tenth hour? Given that there are no wasted words, why did John say it was the tenth hour when this happened? It just struck me that it was the it was the best time of the day. They'd given him the best time of their day. It wasn't like you know cramming him in after they'd done a day's work. It was um, John had pointed out this is the guy that with great expectation we've been looking forward to, and they follow him and they give him the best part of the day. And again, the challenge is, uh, we're thinking about changing someone's um, testimony into my own personal encounter. And the challenge to my heart is, when did I last spend the best part of the day uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ? And that, again, we're in the business of thinking about true discipleship. That has to be a part of our daily devotions, spending the best part of our day. with him and then we have this uh, another element to um, the Christian call is what we do with what we 've learned so his curiosity was turning conviction into conviction and his conviction uh, about who Jesus was was turned into uh, him becoming a champion and uh, Andrew going to his brother Simon and then we have uh, the Lord's Encounter with Simon. So Andrew goes, grabs Simon, he brings him to the Lord with this testimony we found the Messiah, and um, the Lord says to Simon, You'll be called Peter. And um, the Lord, I don't think, changed everybody's name. (laughs) Um, And sometimes we can get tripped up if we read too much into the meaning of people's names in the Bible. Um, but surely, when the Lord chooses to change someone's name, it's got to be significant. And on this occasion, um, Simon became Cephas, and Cephas means rock. And um, it's like as though, um, bear in mind in this little section, we're thinking about the calling and um, the Messiah, and they had no doubt as to who he was. Um, he calls Simon, he says, Simon, you're going to be Peter, you're going to be a rock in my kingdom. And um, not the rock, Um, we wouldn't go that far. Um, It's more, you know, I'm going to turn you from something that um, is uh, limited. You know, his his life before this was uh, as a fisherman, but he became, because of his calling and his conviction, he became a rock. I had a um, a colleague who was a very um, American guy who's a very clear Christian testimony but he had a huge ego he was the boss of a division of the company I worked for um, in the days when we went to America and his name is Gene Perkins and I can remember uh, one talk he gave one morning to his team so this is the the president of a company that i don't know employed probably a thousand or two thousand people and very successful company and he's known as someone who's um, very high moral standards very aggressive person always kind of serious and the theme i was shocked with the theme of his message that morning and this is a business meeting he says um i'm 57 i can remember him saying and I'm here because this is my calling. He said, it's one thing to say that, you know, the chief executive has put me in this position. He said, it's another thing to say almighty God has put me in this position. And people's jaws dropping, you know, I'm thinking, is that really your calling? Um, That was maybe 20 years ago. And, you know, they retired him off early. And um, his calling fizzled out. And I have kept in touch with him off and on, but I'm thinking, Mr. Perkins, you know, we've got great respect for you, but your calling is to a higher thing than looking after um, a company. Your calling is to serve and follow uh, your Saviour. And he was definitely a saved man, a Baptist preacher, actually. And uh, It just makes me think about, let's not get confused about our calling and for sure we can serve god in many different aspects but our calling and it's a lifelong calling not something we retire from is to follow the uh, the lord jesus who is the one whose disciple we are i'm thinking of peter this is andrew introducing peter to the lord and peter in his later writings second peter 1 3 to 10 is a a statement about his appreciation of his calling. And he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Uh, through these he has given us a very, given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that causes evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive for your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind." and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is the old Peter, um, just reveling in his calling, and um, now he's at the end of his life. So to what extent am I convicted about my own calling? And were called to serve very specifically, serve individually, yes, but serve collectively alongside other disciples of the Lord Jesus that um, hold the Lord's teaching dearly. Come back to that in a second. That was Andrew and his brother Simon who became um, Peter. What about um, the next episode that we come to, which is the following day? So um, the next day we read that um, Jesus finds Philip. Now, that causes me to speculate that Jesus had met Philip the day before. (laughs) And um, entirely speculative, so I'm I'm not sure about it. But it would be that you can imagine Andrew and Philip spending a day with the Lord. Andrew goes off and finds Simon, and the next day the Lord's finding Philip because he wants to call Philip. He may have called Philip out of the blue, I don't know, Um, but we have this um, precious, precious thought that Philip, however you look at it, was the product of the search of the Lord. And um, that's our calling. Me and you are the product of the searching of God. It's something that makes the Christian message so distinctive from um, other faiths that talk about us finding God or spending our lives trying to find God. And here you have a real down-to-worth testimony that the Lord found Philip. He went on a search because he had Philip in his sights and he found him and then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel there's a really interesting twist I think in, in the outcome of that little episode where Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and, and he says we found the Lord, the Messiah and he's, he's Jesus son of Joseph from Nazareth and Nathaniel says Nazareth can anything good come out of Nazareth and what does that tell you about Nathaniel um Bit arrogant maybe um, certainly um, had a, a, a narrow view another expectant person uh, in terms of expecting to uh, the Messiah to arrive at any time but a pretty narrow view and um, you could kind of be forgiven that um, he had his doubts about the message that Philip was bringing to him the twist is what the Lord said when he saw Nathaniel, And it's almost the very opposite. I know the derogatory comment Nathaniel had made, Nazareth, can anything good have come out of Nazareth? The Lord sees Nathaniel and says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. <laughs> and uh, the Lord proves who he was by demonstrating that he'd seen Nathaniel um, in a miraculous way. Ever before Philip had gone and presumably heard the reaction that Nathanael had given um, so Nathaniel had uh, an assessment of Jesus son of Joseph Jesus of Nazareth son of Joseph he had an assessment which was totally inappropriate as it turned out um, there's two things here in our calling it's um, what's my assessment of the Lord Jesus Christ um, it's why we have to um, progress from someone else's testimony to our own encounter. Because my um, understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is, if it's only based on what other people say, then it has no foundation. And actually in Nathanael's case, it was completely wrong. Um, but on his encounter, he is convinced that you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So what's my assessment of the Lord Jesus and what's it based on? And another important point is what's my understanding of his assessment of me? So imagine Nathaniel hearing these words, um, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So really, um, kind of in my face, from Nathaniel's uh, statement about me, I don't know whether he would have been Um, tickled with that compliment uh, whether he would have been embarrassed by it, whether he would have been humbled by it, but the important thing here is the Lord had an assessment of Nathaniel which was um, (coughs) spot on and um, we need to have a a Lord's eye view of ourselves It seems to me there are two views we can have of ourselves we can either feel inferior or we can feel superior and neither are helpful and the only real way for us to be the person God wants us to be is to have his view of us and of course if we're going to be making making comparisons I feel inferior when I compare myself with someone else and consider them better the only comparison that we should be making is ourselves with the person of the Lord Jesus. Number four, um, the promise of going deeper with God. It's, it's the, the Lord's message to Nathaniel. I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Um, do we think Nathaniel, at some point Saw heaven open and angels toing and froing. I I don't think so. I don't think this was a literal thing that the Lord was saying to Nathaniel. But what he would, what he was doing is saying, Nathaniel, you're a, you're a well-read, uh, committed Jewish person, and you love the Old Testament. Now remember Jacob's ladder and that story, and how that was a key. Um, experience in in Jacob's life who became um, key father of God's people and that happened at the place called Bethel the house of God and um, we can read about it in Genesis 28 verse uh, 16 it says when Jacob awoke from his sleep he thought surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it he was afraid and said how awesome is this place This is none other than the house of God. Uh, This is the gate of heaven. I think what the Lord was saying to Nathaniel and Philip, if he was still there, and the other disciples is, you know, um, you've been called and I want you to follow me and you will be exposed to um, amazing truths about me that are the key to heaven and the... um, It's a lifelong calling to um, service to the same God that I revealed that revealed Himself to to Jacob all those years ago, and they would have revered the likes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know there were no other men like like them. And what it seems to me the Lord was saying to Nathaniel is is come and follow Me, and you'll have um, experiences and appreciation for God. Better than what your forefathers did, and again, you know, the messages is, and all of these things is for us to reflect back on our own experience. Um, true discipleship leads to a to deeper places with God, richer appreciation of His revealed truth, and richer appreciation of my opportunity to serve, and that's the appeal. You know, uh, in John's uh, the Apostle John's testimony. He's pulled out these uh, handful of witnesses and reflecting back on what experience they went through that convinced them that um, Jesus was worth following. And it's about um, having their attention arrested. Behold this person. It's about having spiritual integrity, being prepared to let go of things that need to be let go of if we're going to follow Uh, the one who's calling us. And it's about the excitement of the Christian call. Um, We've been found by him and we have a a mission to fulfil his will individually and also working alongside other Christians in a church. And the promise is that if we do this, we will go deeper and get into an ever more richer appreciation of God, who he is, his calling of us and what he intends for us to do with our lives. Shall we pray?